A reading from the Gospel, a reading of the Passion from the Gospel of Mark. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd. And the sheep will be scattered, but after I have risen, I will go ahead to you in Galilee. Peter declared, Even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to the place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Father, Father, he said, Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but you will. And then he returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray, so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. And with him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi. And kissed him. The man seized Jesus and arrested him. And then, one of those then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion? said Jesus. That you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man, wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. They took Jesus to the high priests, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed them at a distance, followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And there he sat with the guards and warmed himself by the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. 
We have heard him say, I will destroy this temple with human hands. In three days, we will build another not made with human hands. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is the testimony these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him and struck him with their fists and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. And while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you are talking about, he said, and he went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. And again he denied it. After a little while, those standing near to Peter, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And he began to call down curses and swore to them. I don't know this man you are talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus and led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. You have said so. Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. And so again Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner to whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. And the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. And then all the people said together, Crucify him. They shouted. What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them, and he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. 
They put a purple robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, Hail King of the Jews. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And then when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. And in the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said. But he can't save himself. Let the Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabatachini. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. He said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said. Surely this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. And among them were Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. And many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. And summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. And then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. The word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks. 
for Good Friday, I always think it's important for us to read through the story and to hold it and to see that picture before our mind. I think in this time of, of American Christianity, Christianity in the West in general, we have so many concepts and thoughts and theories we rush to to explain the meaning of the cross, that it's so seldom we sit with it. And so nowadays, in, in, in the earliest um, Gospels, oh, the, the Gospels don't have much explanation of what the cross does. We'll talk about uh, a selection from Mark and sort of some of where that happens, but it, it shows as much as it explains in its story. And so as we know concepts, we know how to apply what Jesus does for us in his, his death so well we often forget the narrative that leads to it. And so today we, we sort of sit in that place. It's not only just sitting in that place in this, in this time before the resurrection, but it is that we, we find that the cross, in, in, in words of a theologian, is, is training for us to live in the silences. It's training for us to live in the silences. As Christians sit with those who mourn, we are they able to be those who sit there in the silences and not rush to explain or to answer. It's uh, Job's friends, many people know of Job's friends, who, who sit with him for six days in silence. And so often Job's friends, we say, oh, they over-explain, they do too much, but most of us we would, we would long for people in our pain and in our sorrow that would sit with us for six days in silence, that would remain in that spot. And so it is for us to, to not rush to always explain the cross, but occasionally hear it. The hard part for the church in, in its liturgical shape is that, is that where do you explain the cross? Um, where do we talk about that? There are times in which we walk through Paul's letter. Now, Paul um, didn't witness this crucifixion. Um, and so it might be easier, I think, to develop theories of what happened further and further removed from the event. And I will say, church history <laughs> proves that out. The further and further we've gotten from the event, the more and more theories we've gotten of what happened. And it's not that these things are wrong in and of themselves, but they, they, they help us narrate the story that comes first. They help us understand the event that precedes it. And so it is for us to learn to sit into this event, to sit in the silences, because it's a God who, who prays what um, Shelley read for us, Psalm, 20, 20, Psalm 22, that, that calls out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's one who goes to the greatest places of abandonment himself that sits with us. And so much so it is that, that everybody else abandons him. Now today, we shouted out, crucify him. And that, that Greek word, um, shouted, uh, occurred just a little while before on, on Palm Sunday. That there are those who shouted, crucify him, and there are those who shouted, um, Hosanna, Hosanna, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That we turn that fast. 
John's gospel has this way in which Jesus is compared to the light of the world, and it's darkness that pushes it out. But I think each of the gospels captures that, and that truth in that, it, that as God comes near to us, as true light comes near to us, we long to extinguish it. And so, too, we are those who claim and proclaim, crucify him. Today, we were also those, I, I, meant, it, I, didn't, I meant to announce it, but I've been trying to use less words today, but the, that truly this man is God's son, but at the moment, it's too late in the story so far. As the divine light, that which created all things, goes out, it's one man, not a Jew, but someone from Rome, who's capable of confessing who he was all along, of seeing that truth. We also see in which we claimed for Barabbas to be released instead. It's an old truth, one that I had forgotten until I was studying today, but Barabbas is guilty. And an innocent man goes in his place. See, the story will get us to what we want to say about the cross if we but listen to it. Christ is the one who goes in the place of a guilty one. The guilty are released because of what he has done. The, the one spot that, that Mark sort of proclaims what the cross is meant to do is earlier, and we talked about it, for the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, uh, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That we see at the end here is Christ giving his life as a ransom for many. And we talked about this ransom has this way of, of being for both those who are prisoners of war. Uh, in the time, ransom, you would have paid a ransom for three different people, prisoners of war. And I often, when I think about that, I was thinking of earlier in Mark's gospel, where he is the one plundering stuff back from Satan. That we are those prisoned in this age to darkness. Christ pays a ransom and brings us back. Another third group or second group that would get paid a ransom for was criminals. We are those who of our own accord have become criminals to what God's kingdom and what God's intentions were. We are those who follow in the long pattern of Adam and Eve. And so in that way, as criminals, those who seek to rob God from what is God's, Christ pays a ransom for us to free us. And the last one is slaves, that he would, he would pay, you would pay a ransom to free a slave. There's one way, there's two ways this works. One in which we have made ourselves slaves through habituating ourselves from creating patterns for ourselves that further make, um, link chain to chain to sinful behavior. It's not once that we choose evil sometimes, but that we create a ring of chains that sort of makes us slave to those things. So too also in the biblical imagination that whenever you hear slaves, you also think of those bound to Pharaoh. The Christ is the one who pays for us to be freed from those tyrannies that control us and bring us out into freedom. The second thing that I think that um, 
Mark uses to explain what happens at the cross is this phrase that I think of almost every Good Friday over and over again, that he is one who saves others but can't save himself. And these words, and often these words that are spoken of the truest meaning, are meant in taunt at the crucifixion. It's almost like that which turns against him proclaims what he is. This is what we see with the centurion as well, is that, is that his job there is to make sure Jesus is dead, and then he proclaims that what he is. So to those mocking him, name what it is that Jesus does. He is one who is always saving others. It's not that he can't save himself, but that he freely gives himself for others. That Christ is this one who hands himself over so that we may be free. They're close, but not all the way there. So too, in this way, the cosmos also confesses that great darkness. It's that is, is, is what creation is, confesses what happens at the cross. Darkness comes over the land. Many, many other images of what Jamie read from Isaiah is that this is one who, whom we turn aside from, who is afflicted for our transgressions. There are all these things in which we can overlay in this story. And yet I still think it's for us to sit and to hear what it is that happened there. But to close and not leave us in hopelessness, when we went through Galatians, this phrase from Ernest Kaysman is one that has stuck with me, which is, the cross is the signature of the one who is risen. We gather tonight and hear this story because it's not the end of the story. If it were, there would be no gatherings here. And so we gather, even as we hold in our minds and try to sit in that Good Friday silence, we know that there is something on the other side. If it were only that, Christianity would only be darkness. But as we get near to the one who carries the cross, who goes to the cross, who dies on the cross, and we learn to sit in that darkness, it's then that light begins to dawn again. To say that he is the crucified one is to say that he is the signature of the one who is risen. Let us pray. God, you have come and walked amongst us in your son, Jesus Christ. We have seen him baptized where you confessed who he is. We've seen him cast out demons and teach and instruct us in the meaning of this kingdom. Drawn the contours of the kingdom that you invite us into. We've seen him heal the blind, walk on water, calm storms. Seen him transfigured on a different mountain, the Mount of the Transfiguration, where you again proclaim, truly, this, this is my son um, whom I love. Again, Jesus comes down and teaches his disciples, guides them in what the community is to be, instructs them in their ethics and their patterns. And he comes in Jerusalem, is, create, is greeted as a king, as a liberator. But in a short period of days, the goodwill that greet him has turned. He celebrates his last meal with his disciples, with us too. 
proclaims that this is his body that is broken. This is his blood that is poured out for many. And so we too are invited like the disciples to sit with him through the night. And yet we grow great and tired. So it is God alone who carries this burden. So too we are invited to follow again and it's Peter who follows at a distance but denies three times. So too it is with us. And as you go to the cross and as darkness pours over the land, we hear your cry from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We hear it both as those who have pushed you there, but also as those who find themselves in darkness in their own lives as well. So today we sit with the cross. We learn to sit in the silences here. And we await the forthcoming glorious day in which we proclaim you are the one who has risen to us and with us. We ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.